In this month's episode of Table Tennis Talk, there's not much to talk about because we're all social distancing. Everything table tennis has been canceled and postponed, so we dig deep into Joey's illustrious career in table tennis. From the wild and windy streets of Brazil to the dangerous dunes of Egypt. And here's the obligatory content warning for anyone who doesn't like spiders. When the wind starts blowing, just skip the next five minutes or so. Hey everyone, and thanks for joining us for another uh, weird episode of Table Tennis Talk. We are uh, here with you remotely. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Lewis, and across town I got Joey Cochran. Hey, hey everybody. Hey, hey Ryan. How's it going? <laughs> Good. How how are you? How are you doing in this age of coronavirus? Uh, I'd say pretty good overall. I think that I mean we don't have any kids to take care of or anything, so just kind of laying back, laying low and we're doing all right. That's a blessing. I hear kids are kind of the the hardest part right now. Yeah. If just, you do have kids. Cause they're all staying home from school and it's just, yep. they all want to be outside playing with their friends and everything's closed. So it's, it's been rough, I think, especially for those families. We have not been able to take a walk. Like usually we walk our dog, our dog at least like once a day. And it's just like, there's so many people and children and just everyone on the sidewalks and at the park. Oh man. I mean, there's, there's no chance that we can like take a walk and not have people like walking right up to us and stuff. Oh wow. Um, I feel like our neighborhood's been pretty, I mean, we don't even have any pets, but our neighborhood's been pretty dead. Like we go on a walk pretty much every day and we might see one other person, which is nice. Like Uh, just wave from across the street kind of thing. But It's yeah, it's been, it's been good for us. That's cool. So, um, we, we're going to have a little bit of a different format than usual. Uh, normally we have our, our standard format, but, um, considering that there's not much tournament inform, there's no, there's zero tournament information to report on. Um, and, um, yeah, really there's no weird. news at all. It seems like hardly at all anyway. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's very different. So, so we're going to have a little bit of a different format. Uh, we're going to start and just talk about, um, how we're individually coping and dealing with kind of self-isolation coronavirus and, um, also, uh, some personal recommendations for things that we've been doing and, um, watching and playing since we've been, um, self-isolating. I know for us, we haven't left the house and Almost a month now. <laughs> Holy cow. I mean, I, I guess we have. We, we've gone for drives and stuff, but like we haven't really. So anyways, uh, you want to start us off, Joey, with things you're doing and sure. you're coping? Yeah. So the first thing that I've been taking up most of my time besides. So I'm working from home. I'm one of the lucky people that I'm able to do that. Um, so when I'm not working, I. So I finally put together my YouTube channel. It's Table Tennis Junkie. Um, so check it out. I've been putting tutorial videos. Most of the videos that I've posted are just like serving videos. I put up my matches from the Olympics like a month ago, but since we're all kind of self-isolating, I figured that's probably the best way to go right now is just putting up the serving videos. So check them out. Um, 
I've been, I'm all caught up on Tiger King. Actually, today, I think a new episode, like a bonus episode came out. So yeah, Tiger King has been an interesting one to watch. Uh, I've been playing a lot of board games with my wife and uh, a cool. couple of family members and close friends have come over a few times. Um, Clank, that's one that you introduced me to. Yeah, it's it's really fun. Um, Have you favorite. been playing that w- with your wife or with a larger group? Uh, with my wife and then uh, a couple other guys. Cool. I, I, one of our friends and his wife also comes over, so it's just nice. like the four of us will play. Um, Hogwarts, a battle cool. for Hogwarts, or Harry Potter, a battle for Hogwarts is, yeah, it's a fun one. That was like what really got me started, like maybe six, seven months ago into board games. Uh, yeah. It's really fun. It's a co-op game. Uh, cool. A couple other ones, Arboretum, which is another one you showed me. And then yeah. Fox in the Forest is another one I play with my wife. It's just a two-player game. Um, nice. But yeah, it's it's been good. Um, board games, TV, my YouTube channel. Uh, and then I kind of hurt my shoulder a while back. And I've just kind of been nursing it back to health. It's So the quarantine for that has been, has been good. Um, yeah. But I'm confident that it'll be over soon. I mean, most most states are reducing new cases or having they're seeing reduction in new cases. So hopefully, hopefully we're out back at it again soon. But yeah. Yeah. What about you? What do you, what have you been up to? What What are your tips for staying busy during these times? Yeah, it's tough. We we've been. I guess we've been self isolating even more than you guys because we. Uh, we haven't had anyone over in probably probably about four weeks now, I think, since the last person came over. Um, and around that same time, I, I pulled something in my groin muscles. And so the the only real like so if I sit for too long, like if I sit for like 30 minutes, it'll start hurting. Jeez. And if I stand for 30 minutes, it'll start hurting. So I can I can walk. And it feels okay. And I can lay like completely flat and it feels okay. And so like I've been laying on the couch so much that like some days like the back of my head will start hurting because I'm just laying there (laughs) for so long. It's been like horrible. It's like the worst injury I've ever had. And so, I mean, in a way it's the perfect time to do it because I can't really go out and do anything anyways. So uh, but also it's the worst time because when you're stuck in the house all day, it would be nice to be able to go outside and do a walk or do something physical to kind of get your mind off it. And I've kind of been stuck here. So yeah, um, it's perfect timing for it. So, yeah. So I've been watching TV. I I definitely uh, caught Tiger King. I think we, I think we benched it all in one evening. Um, it's kind of one of those things where you just can't stop. It's just like, you just yeah. have to get to the end of this crazy thing. Um, and we also, um, we, I don't know if I mentioned it on the show on the podcast before, but we are big fans of Terrace house, which is this Japanese reality TV show. And it's, it's not like, it's not like real world where it's, it's like bombastic and like people get in fights. It's very chill and it's like these very subtle soft kind of relationships and it's just like it's the nicest it's like comfort food basically comfort <laughs> food television um 
And they actually just dropped a new part. They do these, they drop the episodes in portions. So they, they just dropped part three, like a few days ago. And so we've been watching through that and it, it came, it came at a great time because it's like, Oh, this is exactly what we need. Um, you know, this kind of chill show, which is, which is engaging and interesting, but not stressful. Um, and then we've also been watching, um, have you ever seen the challenge uh, on MTV? No, I haven't. It's like, it, it's like a reality TV show, but they actually do these, these like, um, they call them challenges. These like competition things that are like genuinely difficult to do. Like you have to be smart and strong and, um, resourceful and, I don't know. We got hooked on it and I just found out that you can get all of the old seasons on Amazon for like $10 a season. So we've been, are they man, digital or do they have to mail them to you? Digital. Yeah, totally. Oh, digital. That's good. Yeah. yeah. I ordered yeah. a few things from Amazon and it's like, you will get it to you in four weeks or whatever. It's like, well, thanks a lot. I mean, <laughs> for real, when the quarantine's yeah. over, I don't really care about these things anymore, but whatever. Right. Um, yeah. And, and, also being on my back, video games have been a big help to keep me there. Um, Persona 5 R just came out, which is a, a Japanese role-playing game where you play as a um, Japanese high school student who has like <laughs> kind of like magic, magic powers. Um, it's I, I love Persona games, and so this one, and I, I didn't play too much of Persona 5 when it first came out. This is like a, a re-release with some extra stuff, and so I played that. And then yesterday, Final Fantasy VII Remake got delivered. Yeah. Did, did, did you play it yet? No, but I, I'm i definitely going to get it. I haven't gotten it yet. It's You it's, played the original, right? Yeah, I played the original a ton. And yeah, it's one of my favorite games. Dude, it is like, it is so, it is so much. Like that's, I mean, I was sitting there, I, I played about five hours and just every every like five minutes or so i was like i like stopped and i was just like i can't believe this i can't believe this game is like exists and because they i mean one of the things is all the visuals all the story is like similar but it's just so much more and then the music is what really hits you because you know you you know all those songs right and they basically remake the songs but make them even better um oh man that i'm really i'm really into that you should get that man that'll that'll keep you at home for a while um and then the last thing i'm sorry this has been going on for way too long that's that's all good um, board games too um i've been um with some of the guys that you played with we have a gloomhaven group and we have been doing gloomhaven on tabletop simulator which is this online uh program which simulates a tabletop environment and you can play board games um gloomhaven is an actual physical board game and this is like the the digital representation so we've been doing that every other week and then i've been playing a lot of single player board games so god of war the card game is a single player game you can play with other people but it also has a single player variant and so that's been fun. And this other game tainted grail has been really, really fun. Kind of like they, they're almost like you're playing a video game, but you've actually got components and stuff that you're, you're messing with. So 
that's been that's been nice. That's cool. I my brother's been asking me about Gloomhaven. Um, when are we gonna play? When are we gonna play? And yeah, I I haven't done it yet. So I he's I'm actually gonna see him today. So I'm sure he's gonna ask. But well, uh, I got to get on it. That's a good game. Tabletop think, so. simulator is a great way to do it because then you can do it remotely. You don't have to, you know, get out of your pajamas. And you, can, <laughs> <laughs> you can still play a board game. Okay, let's move on to um, there. There is some news. Uh, so um, I didn't put it on our list here, but Dignix 09C came out. So I actually got to try it. The 09C one. Oh. Yeah, so I'm still teaching a couple of my students, um, and one of them showed up with the 09C and the Revoldia, the brand new uh, oh, racket man. and rubber, which Dang. was pretty cool. It was interesting to try it. Um, it the first my first impressions are that it's like very light. Um, he has short pips hmm. on the uh, on the back end. Okay, so it's a little different than. Um, like like the weight of it will be a little bit different, like a little lighter because of those pips, but sure. it it felt really light um, and is definitely slower than the than the regular Dignix O five, mm. but also stickier. So um, yeah, pretty interesting. I didn't want to loop too much with it because of my shoulder. I didn't want to re injure it, but sure, I can see why why people are using it for sure. It's, it's not as sticky as like a hurricane, but it's definitely stickier than the, the O five cool. or 64. Could you, sure. could you feel the difference in the blade with the new, the nano fiber stuff? Uh, yeah. So it's hard to say, right? Cause I'm, I'm changing from my Harimoto and O five and Harimoto, like on my forehand and 64 and backhand to, a different racket and different rubber. So it's hard to say, like compare the two exactly. It's just, it's definitely slower and lighter though. So, and I'm not sure if it's from like just the rubber or the racket or maybe a little bit of both. Yeah. Yeah. I actually would like to try the 09C on my racket just to like compare it. Like, because I have my spare racket and then I have, I could just put it on and, and just like have a proper comparison between the two. So I might actually do that. I've been, I've been really thinking about getting it, but it's just so hard when you're, when you're at home. And I mean, I, I haven't actually picked up a racket since probably our last lesson, which was months ago. And I don't know, I've really, my table's actually stood up right now. I'm I'm thinking about putting it down so I can start practicing some serving and, um, yeah, just getting, if you're not really playing, I wouldn't. I wouldn't get it uh, until you're kind of back into it because especially with sticky rubbers, they'll they'll die much quicker than a normal rubber because it just uh, collects okay. dust and they're harder to clean. Yeah. Um, so if you're not playing consistently, I would recommend not getting it until you're playing more consistently. Cool. Um, so more news. Uh, ITTF has um, canceled and pushed things out even farther. Um, so right now the world championships, which they were trying to target for June this year are, um, they're hoping will happen in September, October of this year. They haven't set an exact date. Um, the Olympics was moved to next year. Which is a big deal. Yeah. Probably yeah. a good thing. I mean, let's just push it out make sure that oh, everyone's yeah. healthy and you can have some good crowds and yeah. 
if you don't have any spectators, I would assume that they would lose a <laughs> fortune on the Olympics. Yeah. So it'll be it a would good, also like, just be weird not yeah, having just, people. Yeah, totally. And people want to see it. It's not just like a money thing. Like people want to go, and if you can't yeah. go, they're like, "That sucks," you know. So it'll be yeah. kind of weird. So like, uh, some of the older athletes they have to stay in shape for a whole another year that might have yeah. been going. And then I remember reading a story. I think she was from like Turkey or something. The there was a table tennis player, a girl who made the Olympics, uh, the Olympic team. And she was like one of the youngest, if not the youngest Olympian ever. She was like 12 or 13 or something, but now she's oh. going to be a year older. So I was like, mm, I wonder if she's still going to be the youngest, <laughs> um, but she qualified. So yeah. Uh, yeah. her her uh her entry into the Guinness Book of World Records might have been ruined. Um, yeah, ruined for this. Um they uh ITTF announced that the world rankings they have frozen them after April. Okay. Uh which I thought was interesting. So probably I mean, a good thing cuz they don't have any tournaments, so Yeah, but I think isn't isn't there like a time like if if they weren't frozen, isn't there like a time element to the ratings that would have potentially changed them as nobody's playing? Yeah. So your your tournament, so they take your five best results throughout the year. It's a rolling yeah. year, and uh, the, you like your if you place first in a tournament, then that that first place those first place points are valid for one calendar year. Got it. Yeah. So, or one rolling year, whatever it is. So, if it's frozen, it'll just extend those timelines. So, it makes sense yeah. the way that the world That's rankings good. work because you can't you can't renew any turn any rankings with more results because all the tournaments are canceled or moved. Yeah. Uh, the last thing isn't really news, but I wanted to uh, mention to people uh, that most uh, table tennis, most local table tennis clubs are closed right now, and so. Um, even if uh, they maybe still have dues money coming in, um, they're they don't have money coming in from selling merch and running events, and so you might want to check in if you haven't with your local club and see if they're um, accepting donations or something to kind of keep them afloat as they're closed. I know the Salt Lake Club is closed. They say until um, the middle of April, but I can't imagine them opening anytime soon. So they'll probably be closed at least a couple other months. And, um, they're, they're taking donations, uh, basically so they can continue to pay rent, um, mm -hmm. right now. Uh, cause I mean the worst, the worst, you know, when you think about it, um, yeah, you're not going to the club right now. So why should you pay? But the whole point is once we kind of get beyond this, you, you probably want your local club to still be there and still, you know, have tables and be around. And, and unfortunately, um, kind of the only way that, that, uh, they can do that is if people support them, even though they're not going. So, yeah, I think I I've seen several GoFundMe pages for clubs around the country. Cause I mean, yeah. everyone's struggling right now. Right. But like, I think sporting centers and ping pong clubs in general and are, are really hurting because ping pong doesn't really yep. make any money anyways. It's almost like a nonprofit. Yep. So going a month without any income coming in, it's like, how do you, how do you, how do you manage to keep paying rent? Yeah. So for sure. Yeah. So check in with your club and uh, make sure to support them. Right. Okay. 
So um, I thought that, so one thing that we haven't really been able to do um, in maybe as much detail as I've always wanted is to figure out, um, or I guess hear uh, your story, Joey, your story of your career. Okay. Um, I feel like, I feel like there's a lot of things that even I don't know. I mean, like, it's like, as we would do lessons, you would like give me little tidbits of like, oh yeah, when I was, um, when I was overseas training or when I did this and I'm just like, you know, someday I want to, I want to like take you out to dinner and get the full story. But for some reason we never have. So, uh, this is my chance to kind of, uh, get the full story from you. Um, and not when I'm like trying to recover after looping for a few minutes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so let's just start off and, uh, start, start at the beginning. Um, when you started playing, why you started playing, um, and kind of what the early days of, you know, getting involved with this sport was like. Sure. So I started, it all kind of started when I was, yeah, it all started. So it started when I was five, uh, when my mom got my dad a ping pong table for his birthday or for Christmas or something. Um, there was, my dad liked to play growing up. I have two brothers that play and we got a table at the house and we just started playing. Um, pretty soon after that, my dad found a ping pong club in, uh, in South Bend. So I grew up in South Bend, Indiana. So he, he looked it up on the internet or on the newspaper or something, saw that there's a ping pong club in this, in the area. Definitely not. So, the internet. yeah, probably not the internet. Um, <laughs> Unless yeah, I'm you sure we DARPA. <laughs> yeah, we didn't, we didn't have internet for sure. So <laughs> yeah, I think so every week the, the local ping pong club, they posted, there was like a league night and they would post the results from the league in the, in the newspaper. So I think wow. that's probably how we found it, but yeah. So we started going to the club, uh, the soon after the Danny C Miller, he was the men's team coach. He moved from Pittsburgh to Indiana and he started the junior program there in Indiana. And I was still too young. The age requirement was you had to be at least six. So I had to stay home and just kind of play with my family. And then when I turned six, then I joined the the junior team. And the junior team was pretty big. I think they had maybe 20 to 30 kids or more. Um, And there were a couple that were really good. And um, yeah, so I I joined that and I was on like the junior varsity. And uh, then I played a lot with my brothers. I with my two brothers and my dad at home and pretty much every day we were playing ping pong either at home or at the club. I started doing the the league night on Thursdays. And then when I was six, I played in my first tournament in Minnesota, which is pretty cool. Got to travel. It's wow. like a 10 hour car drive to, to Minnesota. And I played and I lost every single match. <laughs> well, I lost all my <laughs> games. What? Were were your brothers on the same in the same program? Yeah, so all three bro, all three boys were in the program. Together. And did they play that same tournament? Yeah, yep. Cool. The, yeah. So our whole family went. And it kind of just became like a family thing. We would travel around to different tournaments and uh we made friends with the people at the on the junior team and 
we would travel together and carpool and it was pretty fun. So there were all kinds of camps and clinics and things that we would be, we would go to and all the tournaments and stuff and pretty much all around the Midwest, we'd travel everywhere. Um, and I always like to travel. It's like, I just, I love traveling. What's the time frame? Is this the early nineties? Um, mid nineties. Mid nineties. Okay. Yeah. So then when I was eight, I got my first sponsorship from Banda wow. who I, I remember they, they sent me a contract as an eight year old. I think my parents must've signed it. Um, <laughs> And every day at the club, I was like, hey, did I get anything from Banda yet? I would always ask my coach. And then like the the one day that I didn't ask, he's like, aren't you going to ask? And there was like a big box of like ch- shirts oh. and paddles and stuff. And I was, I was stoked. I mean, getting a bunch of free ping pong gear from Banda. And they were pretty why, good. Why did they want to sponsor you? Uh, well, I was, I was pretty good. I think I was... So I went to Junior Olympics a few times, um, and I think I won the Junior Olympics. Um, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. We're 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 skipping ahead. Okay, so you're six years old. You lose all of your tournaments, and then somehow you get a sponsorship. <laughs> There's things yeah. missing here. Yeah. So I, when I look back at it, I feel like I didn't improve very quickly. But when okay. I was eight and nine and ten, and I was. I was either like the number one or the number two junior, like under 10 year old kid in the country. So I, I, looking back, I must've been improving pretty quickly and doing pretty well. But I remember always struggling, um, to, Mm. to like grasp things, but maybe like comparing them to my brothers who are a couple years older than me, then, I mean, they were always better than me. So I think for my age, I was, I was doing really well. Um, okay. Yeah. How how often did you train back then? Uh, probably five times a week. Dang. Yeah, and three hours at a time. So it was pretty much just like after school. Yeah, it was five to eight or five thirty to eight thirty. Okay. Yeah. So and after the, after work, did the whole much. group do that? Yeah, it was all group lessons. Yeah, Man. I never really took any private lessons from Danny or anybody until I was probably 20. Wow. So um, yeah, and all how, about how often were you doing tournaments then? Um, so it varied when I was, when I was young, it was maybe five to 10 tournaments a year, okay. um, yeah. which is really not enough. So if yeah. once I was probably 16 or 17 was when I started playing like 20 to 30, 20, I tried wow. to do one, uh, every other week was my goal. And I, I hit 25 a couple of times, but I never, I never did 26, which would have been once every other week. Um, <laughs> there were a few weekends where I could have done two tournaments cause they were like the open singles was on Saturday for one tournament and the open singles was on Sunday for the same weekend. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, I could travel from Columbus to Erie and play <laughs> and like try to work it out, but I never did. And I kind of wish I did just so I hit that 26 mark, but I, yeah, I never did. I hit 25 a few times, but yeah, early on it was just like five to 10 tournaments a year, which is okay. Um, but if you really want to be the best, you got to play a lot more often and get that match experience. Yeah. So, okay. So junior Olympics, you went when you were eight. 
I think I don't remember when the first time I went was, but I want to say probably seven was when I went the first time. How did you, how did, how are you even like, um, considered like how did that help? Do you remember how that process went? So the junior Olympics is almost, it's not like the normal Olympics. It's, uh, anyone can really go. Um, okay. It's more like nationals. It's just like a U.S. thing. Like, you don't have to be a U.S. citizen, but it's mostly U.S. citizens. Uh, and it was. It's basically just age events. So you have like the ten and under, the twelve and under, the fourteen and under, the sixteen and under, the eighteen and under, and the under twenty-one probably. Okay. Um, but it's yeah, it's it's really fun because you play like the top juniors from all around the U.S. and Canada even. Um, and it was, it was good to, so a lot of tournaments you play adults as a little kid and it's hard to, mm-hmm. I think it's hard on everybody. I, I, I don't like, I don't, it's not, I don't dislike it, but it's, it's definitely hard for adults to play kids. And it's also hard for kids to play adults because mm-hmm. it's just like a different style. And a lot of like older guys have junky rubber and, they're just relying on tricks where the kids are trying to do the proper strokes and techniques. And when you have kids playing kids, it's a lot more fun because they're both like, they're both trying for the same thing and they, they both want to win really bad. And they're, they have proper strokes. There's no like weird things going on. It's just a very clean game. So junior Olympics was always pretty fun um, because you're just playing kids in your own age group. And a lot of times you make friends or you make enemies um, and uh, you, you see them over and over again, like at nationals yeah. and junior Olympics and uh, team tryouts and other events like that. So, yeah. Cool. Cool. Okay. So you, you went to junior Olympics. Did you, did you win when you were seven? Uh, I think the first time I, I don't remember when the first time I won it, but I want to say probably okay. around eight because that's when okay. I got my first sponsorships, maybe Sponsorship. nine. Um, but yeah, I was definitely showing promise at that time just cause I mean, I was, I was winning a lot more by when I was eight than when I was six, when I wasn't really winning anything ever. So sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, what was it like in school? Because I mean, were you like the ping pong kid in school or were, did anybody even know that you were like a big deal? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> so yeah, all my friends knew I played ping pong. Um, I I was actually homeschooled though, so I ah. yeah. Most of top athletes in actually a lot of sports, most sports are actually homeschooled. It's pretty common. Okay. I wouldn't say most, but a higher percentage of top athletes are homeschooled. Huh. Um, it, it allows you to train more. It allows you to travel more. Um, so I was actually homeschooled. So uh, my dad taught me he was a college professor. So his hours were a little bit different than like a normal nine to five job. Sure. Um, and yeah, so it, it allowed us to travel more. It allowed us to train more and wow. yeah, play more ping pong. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah so, imagine. but like I was, I was still in a lot of groups. Like my neighborhood had a lot of kids in it. So I was, I was always mm-hmm. outside playing hockey and playing football and playing soccer and, I didn't really love baseball, but I played baseball a little bit and capture the flag. And like, there were, there were tons of kids in our neighborhood. So I think that was really good. And they all knew I played ping pong. I was the ping pong kid with everyone. Um, and then I was also in like boy scouts and 
other just I, I was on a football team, so I played other sports. Um, cool. But yeah, it was. It, I think part of the one of the biggest, um, the hardest things for homeschoolers is they never really get that social side of things. Right. Where I was kind of lucky, where I, I had a ton of kids in the neighborhood, where like we weren't at school together, but we still hung out and played basically every day between when after school ended, they got home and then my practice started at like five thirty, So mm. I, I got like a couple hours of, of football time or soccer or whatever. Socialization. Yeah. Which was good. And it was really mm. good for ping pong too. Just like that cross training. I'm always running around riding bikes yeah. or doing whatever. So yeah, it was good. That's cool. Okay. So you're winning at the junior Olympics. You've got a band of scholarship, uh, sponsorship, um, sponsorship. Uh, let's start from there. Uh, what, what happened after that? Um, so I think that the first, so you have, um, I was, so by the time I was nine or 10, I was for my age group, I was one of the top juniors. Um, and then same for 12 and under 14 and under, and then when you get to the 16 and under, that's for the cadet team. Um, and when you're on the cadet team, that's for the, like the U.S. team. Um, and you get to travel quite a bit, uh, depending on where you, what year it is, I guess, and also where you finish in the top, top in the country. Mm-hmm. So for, for the U.S. team is really where you want to be. Um, and I think when I was either 13 or 14 is when I made the cadet team for the first time, which allowed me to go to like the U S team training camps. Um, and I went to a few of them, mostly in Florida. Um, there were a few in other places around the country. And also if you're on the team, then they also pay your way for like the U S open. Um, and, a couple of other tournaments, which is really good because they're, I mean, those are expensive tournaments. I mean, going to the U S open, it's going to cost you minimum, probably a thousand bucks, maybe more and more like 2000 bucks. So when you make the U S team, they pay for your entry, your hotel, your travel and your food, which is great. And then the reason why they did that was because they would have, Train, they'd have like a week long training camp before the U S open. And then mm. you play the U S open and then they have another, uh, either one or two weeks training camp after the U S open. So you're gone for like a month, but you get lots of really good training and you get, you get to work with some of the, like the national level coaches, uh, you're training with other people, the other top juniors. So usually they would send the cadet boys. So 16 and under the cadet girls, 16 and under, and then the, junior boys and the junior girls, which is 18 and under. Oh. So, and then the men's and women's team, they did something different usually, but so it was, it was good to just kind of be a part of that group of like top level juniors and top level cadets, um, and, and be training and, and playing in tournaments, big tournaments. Um, yeah, so I did that. I think the first time I was, I was probably 14 when that happened the first time, maybe 13. Um, Mm. and the way that it worked was, was stupid. Um, it was (laughs) entirely based off of rating, which everyone knows that the rating system in the U S is totally broken. And just like, it's so arbitrary. You can have a high rating and not be very good. You could have a low rating and be really good. 
and it mm-hmm. changes every single tournament you play it changes and sometimes it changes drastically so the way they did it was if they took the four highest rated kids on uh, 16 and under and then if you're 15 you get 50 bonus points and if you're 14 you get 100 bonus points if you're 13 you get 150 bonus points uh, okay and like juniors are gaining more than 50 points per year so like that's a stupid way to do it anyways but um it, it just and the other thing is is like for each training camp throughout the year they would redraw it so you had to have a consistently high rating throughout the year oh so oh. and so you might go to one camp but then you'd miss the next camp because you lost a match or something and it's like it puts a lot of pressure on you to win every single match and do really well and then if you have a high rating then juniors just stop playing tournaments which is like that's it's counter <laughs> like it it doesn't help you improve so yeah people just sit on their ratings so they would get to they'd get their paid training camps and paid tournaments and stuff uh-huh. very bad system to do it yeah they ended up changing it i think when i was 15 okay. they had an actual team tryouts which was a much much better way to do it so at nationals at the end of the year in December, they would, they would select the team for the following year. And Mm. that was, that was really good. And they would take the top four players, um, for each category. And that would be the U S team for the next year, which, which was just a really much like a way better way to do it. Um, so I think when I was 15, I made the U S team. I qualified in the top four. And I did that again when I was 16. Um, And I got to travel quite a bit, mostly within the U.S. uh, and Canada at that time. So every year it's different. Uh, Some years you go overseas. Some years you stay home. It just depends on the budgets. So I think in... One of in one of our previous episodes, Dan Seemiller Jr. was on as he was being interviewed, and he made the U.S. Mm -hmm. Junior Team. But that year, they only went on one trip, and it was to Columbus, Ohio, I think. Which, I mean, that's (laughs) that's cool. But so he kind of got screwed a little bit on that, which was pretty unfortunate. And I think during those first few years of making the cadet team, were were off years where there was more than just that one trip, but it was all within like the North America. So then I think when I was 16, actually, so I, there was one trip I got to go on. Uh, it was, we went to Brazil, Oh, cool! which is pretty awesome. Uh, it was definitely an experience. Uh, the day before we left, I was riding my bike and I was in a really bad bicycle accident where I hit my head and I, I was, I had like a, bad injuries <laughs> oh no like massive headaches like dizziness for sure uh a concussion but i didn't want to go to the doctor because i was like this is my first big trip to go out of the country and <laughs> i was like i i'm not going to go to the doctor and tell like have him tell me i can't fly like that's that's yeah. not going to happen so i didn't do anything about it and i went on this trip and my arm was like i still have these pretty big scars on my arm from it because i just like i got really beat up from this accident Oh, and I, so we went to Brazil, which is pretty interesting. I, all my trips that be, before that, this is like the worst trip ever, but all of my trips before that, they give you like 30 bucks per day for like a food stipend for yeah. this trip. They didn't give us any money for it. 
and what? I didn't bring any money. So I had no money. I had like 10 bucks for like a 10 day <laughs> trip. So I was like having to borrow money from my friends and stuff. And I didn't have like a credit oh, card man. as a 16 year old. Yeah. So I, <laughs> and I was like, had like my arm was all screwed up. My, like I had this massive headache the whole time. And I was thinking like Brazil, uh, it's probably going to be pretty warm. It was freezing cold and I only brought oh. like shorts and t-shirts and stuff. Super cold. Anyway, <laughs> so it's just like kind of, I was just miserable the whole time, but yeah, kind of like the more fun story from that is this, the playing hall, it had these walls and then the, the ceiling kind of like went over, but it didn't connect to the wall. It was like almost like a shed, but like this huge sure. auditorium, but like, the the walls didn't connect to the roof so as we're playing there's like you can see like these bugs and like these massive spider webs up near the lights and stuff just because these bugs and birds and stuff will kind of come in yeah and then this storm kind of came in and like it was weird i don't know if you've ever been like near a tornado but like the pressure just like it like messes with your ears kind of so it kind yeah. of felt like that where like there's like the pressure in the building kind of went away. And mm. then all of a sudden, like this big wind came and these like locusts, like these bugs came and just like swarmed. They weren't like mosquitoes, but they were like kind of like mosquito-ish, maybe bigger. But these bugs came in and just like filled this gym. And like you couldn't <laughs> you couldn't breathe. Like it was you breathe and you would suck in bugs. Like just oh, like God. just like completely clouded this entire auditorium and like they had to evacuate the building because they like these bugs came in and just like swarmed in like covered like you couldn't even see across the gym like everywhere and they they couldn't figure out how to get out they just like got blown in and they were stuck so they had to like cancel not cancel but like postpone the tournament because like until these bugs got out of the building and what happened was they they were getting caught in these giant spider webs up top and these big fat like tarantulas would were falling from oh, the dude. ceiling like <laughs> once they reopened it was it was so crazy and like disgusting and yeah just pretty wild and then after they started they were like still like every now and then like splat like these big spiders falling from the ceiling oh man and then but it was still windy like and before the like the big gusts came in it was pretty windy and like barriers were getting blown over and uh wow. scoreboard like the stands the wooden stands like where the wind was strong enough to like blow these stands over and like it's like i remember the one time <laughs> this this russian kid he threw the ball up to serve and he had this high toss serve and it blew like four courts over like just like like what are you supposed <laughs> to do like they, this is before they postponed it it's like well what like yeah. is that a fault like it's not my fault that there's massive wind in here yeah so yeah they ended up postponing it until like the storm came, turned down and like the bugs went away, but it was, it was pretty wild. <laughs> wow. That <laughs> and, sounds horrible. Yeah. Was, yeah. That's, so that was, that's the environment that, that Hugo Calderano grew up in. So that's why he's yeah. so good because, yeah. you know, he was playing through bugs and wind and tarantulas and. Yeah. I don't know what kind of spiders they were. They were like blue. And the first one that came down, oh. I remember we were, it like it didn't look real and it like was it fell and it was unconscious when it hit the ground it wasn't moving it was just like 
like it looked yeah. like one of those play rubbery spider things. So we were like picking it up and like putting it on no, people. <laughs> and then the, this one time Trevor, which we, I will talk about later. He was one of, he was on the junior team with me. He would picked it up and, uh, he put it on somebody. And as he's like, p- like picking it up, I saw his legs like contract around his wrist. Like he no. was holding it and it like went around his wrist, like these big long legs and he didn't see it. And I was like, dude, it's alive. And no one saw it. I was the only one who saw it. And I was like, it's, it's alive. And then he went and put it on somebody. And oh man. then like eventually somebody like kicked it and it like broke open. Like it like splattered when someone kicked it. And that's when like, oh, it actually is alive. Anyway. Man, we're going to have to put a content warning on this episode yeah. for people who don't. <laughs> People who can't handle, I can't handle spiders. I'm glad. Let's move on. Okay, let's move on. Yeah. So yeah, I I think the next year, seven. I was 17, and I one year I didn't make the team. I forget which year it was, but Mm. when I was 18, I made the team again. Um, One of the years I went to Egypt. This is another kind of cool story. So yeah, uh, we so we're in Egypt. Uh, This is for the world the junior world championships and. Cool. The, uh, it, we're kind of just locked down in our rooms. Uh, not really like you're not, it's not the safest place to be. So they're just like, if you're not playing in the tournament, just stay in your rooms. Like don't really do anything. Well, right before, so backing up a little bit right before the tournament, like the week before the junior team coach backed out. Like I don't know if he was sick or if he didn't want to go, but they had to find another coach to like chaperone mm-hmm. us and to go. So they, they picked the, uh, the like an old U.S. men's team coach, this uh, Iranian guy named Hushang, mm-hmm. Hushang uh, Bazorgzada. He's he's an awesome guy, <laughs> and he is he was so much fun to have in Egypt. His um, he would like he took us out, and we were like he would he would like schedule things for us to do. So um, he took us to the pyramids, which was awesome. Wow! Uh, and when we got there, so it was me, John and Trevor and then a Latvian guy named Mattis. And he, as we get out, we, there's all kinds of like peddlers and whatever trying to sell you stuff. And this one guy's like, Hey, I'll, I want to take your picture. And this is before the revolution. So things were different then. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, I'll take your picture. And so John, he grabs John, uh, sorry, Trevor, he grabs John's camera and gives it to this guy. And immediately the guy just books it. He takes off. So it's like, oh my gosh. So we're, we start chasing him uh-huh. and he's running away and I'm, I'm leading the pack as far as chasing him. And he, he runs behind this like steel wall with these gates on it that you can't see through. So I, I chase him through there. And as soon as I go through, there's like 10 guys on the other side and they grab me what? and they're like, and as we, as we run through one by one, the four of us, they grab us and they they're like holding us like arms around us holding us and they they put us on these camels <laughs> and they're like we're like what the heck is going off like get us off these camels there's like a whole bunch yeah. of them we're way outnumbered yeah and we're we just like start riding out into this desert and we're behind this wall so like no one can really see us and so <laughs> we're just we're just riding out and there's these dunes kind of on our right side with like these tents and you can see people are kind of living over there, not super far away. 
um, people are kind of living over there and um where there's this big drop like dune that we're riding towards and john and i are on this camel together and mattis and trevor are on the other camel and john and i are talking we're like hey we need to like we need to jump off and run like we're like if we get over to like past that dune then even if someone comes across like through this gate they're not going to see us like we we got to make our way back somehow so they, we're like yelling, like constantly throughout this whole journey, we're like yelling at the guys, like, give us our camera back, like, get us off these camels, let us go. And as we're approaching this dune, right at the peak of it, they stop and they say, like, give us your money. We, we, they're basically robbing us. So, um, we, we lie to them. We came in on a bus. So we're like, we, we left our money in the bus we don't have any money and they start like yelling at us and screaming at each other. And like, there's a whole bunch of them and they're just like, there's just like a lot of yelling going on in Arabic or whatever they're speaking. So then eventually John was like, we want to take a picture of you. And the guy was like, of me, like the main guy that took the camera of me. And he's like, yeah, I want to take a picture of you. And the guy was like blown away that anyone would want to take his picture. So he gave him <laughs> the camera back and as soon as he did, John jumped and started running. And I was like, John, like you could have warned me. So, <laughs> so he jumped off this camel and just started, he booked it. And so immediately I jump off and start running. Um, and then Trevor and the Latvian guy, Mattis, also jump off and start running back. And they were a little bit slower, uh, like later, like they didn't know what was going on either. So they, they, we're running and they're kind of in the back and there's like lots of yelling and um, the, the people in these tents start like running out towards us. So they're like coming from our left now and, and from behind us. Mm. And eventually they, they catch uh, Mattis and Trevor and Mattis, he, he has money. We all have money. He reaches in his pocket full of all these like Egyptian coins and like probably two feet away, like they're, right next to each other he throws at full force this handful of change right in this guy's face and <laughs> like <laughs> yeah and then it, it kind of just like all this money scatters around in the sand because we're out in the desert yeah. and all these people just like converge on this money uh, in the sand and it's like that's really the reason why we got away like we we just ran all the way back um and they were they were trying to collect this money in the sand um these coins and we we talked to the security guards and they were just like they didn't care they didn't want to listen to us They're like these guys just tried to kidnap us and rob us and like there's these police and they just like blew us off completely so it was kind of frustrating but we got away which was the main thing um yeah but pretty pretty wild experience <laughs> it's crazy was this was this um did you guys have matches after that happened? Uh, i think this was actually after our matches were over okay but <laughs> so People in Egypt are just like desperate for money. And our playing hall was real close to the airport. Or sorry, our hotel was really close to the airport. And the playing hall was probably like 40 minutes away. Mm. And our rooms, they didn't have clocks in them. So we, huh. the way you have like a wake-up call, like I didn't have a cell phone at the time. Yeah. Uh, the way you got a wake-up call was to talk to the people at the front desk and they'll come and knock on your door in the morning. I had a nine o'clock match against Germany and the, the, this is, I'm, we're all jet lagged. This is one of the first days and 
I didn't hear the wake up call, like the little knock on the door. So yeah. it's like, I, I wake up and I'm, I'm like, it must be early. Like I didn't know what time it was. So I'm just kind of like taking a shower, taking my time. I go down to the lobby and it's like, what time is it? It's like, it's eight 45. I was like, are you kidding me? Like you didn't, you didn't, you're supposed to wake me up. I have a match in 15 minutes. So I run upstairs, I get my bag yeah. and I run back down and the, there's a bus, but they, they run like every half hour. Something yeah. I forget how often, but like every half hour. And I, I told the bus driver like, Hey, I have a match in like 15 minutes. I have to go. And he's like, no, it, we can't go yet. I was like, we have to go. Like, I was like, he's like, no, like I, my schedule, I, I don't leave for another 15 minutes. And I was like, if you get me, if you leave right now, I'll give you 20 bucks. And I was like, if you, if you get me there before nine, I'll give you another 20 bucks. And the guy, <laughs> he floored it. Like I, wow. it was, he got me there in less than 15 minutes. I was there on time wow. for my match, but Dang. it was like, I mean, it was a 45 minute bus ride that he got me there in 15 minutes. And I remember looking at the bus and the speedometer didn't work. It just like, it was at, it was at zero <laughs> the whole time. Like whether he was going fast or stopped or whatever, like the speedometer didn't work. So I have no yeah. idea how fast he was going, but it, he, he was flying in this bus to get me there and he got his 40 bucks and <laughs> man. So yeah, it was, it was pretty how, crazy. How, do you remember how you did on the match? I did pretty good. I didn't win. I lost uh, three to one. Um, mm. And I remember talking to, it wasn't against Oftrov, but I was talking to, to Oftrov afterward and he was like giving me tips of how I should have won the match. I was like, aren't mm. you supposed to be like <laughs> for your, <laughs> on the other <laughs> but, side? Yes. But he, he was pretty nice and pretty cool about it afterwards. So, um, cool. yeah, it was, cool. it was crazy. That was a crazy trip for sure. Yeah. So, um, you also mentioned that you went overseas to train. Was that after all of this stuff? Uh, it was, yeah. So when I was 18, I right after my 18th birthday, I I went to Sweden and I trained in Stockholm at Sporvagen for um, a while. I think it was like three months or something. Cool. That was pretty good. That was really good training. Um, the coach that was there, he like halfway through my stay, he uh, got a job as the national team coach for Australia. Mm. So after I got back, I waited like a year or something in the next, it was in the fall time. So the next fall I was still in contact with him and I went to Australia and trained with him. He was a really good coach. So I trained with him, uh, for another three or four months or something like that. Um, and that was really fun too. So in Australia, I just like, I, I kind of, they were, they have a league system there, but I was an alternate so I was like, if someone wasn't going to show up for, or was out of town or sick or something, they would call me and say, Hey, do you want to fill in for so-and-so position? And their, their league system is pretty good where they have lots of different clubs in Melbourne and then a couple other clubs around the country, mostly on the East coast. And so I would, I would train in like for one club and then the next week I would train at a different club and then a different club oh, and then a different cool. club. So I stayed at a couple people's houses and like, just like, I'm going to be like, Hey, I've never met you before, but it's okay if I stay at your house for a week and train and <laughs> play. And then I'll, I'll move on to the next place in the next week. Yeah. So basically in Australia, I would just buy like one way flights from one city to the next. And I would just stay at lots of different ple people's houses and just like check out the different cities around Australia, yeah. which was, it was super fun. And, um, yeah, that was awesome. I think I was 19 at the time. Dang. So, 
yeah that was that was really fun so um I'm not sure how homeschooling works. So did you like, when did you graduate homeschooling? How does that work? Uh, so I got my GED, which is like a okay. national test. It's, yeah. I mean, I don't want to talk down on it, but it's like the easiest test ever. Like yeah. <laughs> I, I, people like you, I don't really know how normal high schools work. I know you graduate, um, but I think it's gotta be harder than the GED. The GED was kind of a joke. Um, you don't, well, so I went to a normal high school and you don't take any tests. You just don't get like, you don't get F's, I guess. And that once you, yeah. once you like reach your senior year and you take your classes, you just finish. You just, it's, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. So, so uh, when did you get the GED then? Uh, I was 18, 17 or oh, 18, okay. something like that. Yeah. It was, it was one of those things like, do you want it? Like we can schedule it. Or my parents were like, if you want, you can schedule it. Like, I don't know. They weren't, I was doing fine in school. So my dad would assign work for me class, like schoolwork when I was traveling or out of town or at camps or whatever. And I would have to make sure mm -hmm. I get it all done. So there's a lot of like, um, personal accountability for that. Yeah. And I did fine. Um, and then when I was actually 16, I actually started taking classes at a uh, university Oh, um, so okay. I, I was like some of my more advanced classes were at the university and then my, my normal classes. And then my teachers at school, like at the college was like, they were really, they worked with me really well. So they were really cool. understanding like, Hey, I'm going to be trying like representing America and Egypt next week. Like, can I turn in my work late? Like, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah. we, we've talked about like, um, like Lily Zhang recently, she graduated college and, and is going, is trying to do table tennis full time. Um, I'm sure there was a point for you where you were like, well, do I go to college or do I go pro and play full time or something? Um, did you have that uh, point and, and what did you think about that? So, yeah, it was tough. So I tried to do both for a while. Um, so I went to school in Indiana, which my, the school I went to, so the school I went to as a teenager was I transferred away from there when I wanted mm. to like go to real school. Um, so the school I went to as a teenager was like a liberal arts school where I wanted to get into tech stuff. So I went to uh, Indiana tech, which was better for my major, mm. which is two hours away from home. So I would go to school and then I scheduled my classes for Tuesday, Thursday. Um, okay. and then I would, so I'd go to school Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or stay at, in my dorm. And then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, I would come home and I would train, um, cool. with, with Danny and I would do more private lessons in that time. Um, and group lessons both. So that was tough, but I actually, so during those times, I actually played some of my, some of my best table tennis and, I won like the under 22 men's at nationals a couple times, which was really good. Uh, yeah. I finished really well in the, the men's team trials a couple of times. Uh, I finished in the top four, which was good. Uh, top five once, top four once. Um, so I actually, I was playing better than I had ever played, but then it was, it was pretty much, <laughs> there was one tournament where, I, I, I finished fourth on the, on the men's team. Mm. 
and I for at the team trials and I don't want to get into this too much, but they the top three are based on finish and the fourth one is based on coaches selection at the time. Mm. And the coaches the men's team coach had always picked the fourth one and then it goes to the other the board or whatever, the USHT board, and they have to approve it. Sure. So um, and it had always kind of just been like a, a rubber stamp, like the coach gets to pick whoever they want, but also they always had every time that I knew they had always picked the fourth spot. So the year I, I got fourth, um, Danny was the coach, which was awesome. Like he's my hometown coach. Like we'll get yeah. to go to the worlds together. It's going to be great. So I, I made the team as fourth and then I went to the board and they said he couldn't select me because there's a conflict of interest. It's like, well, not really. So, but they made him pick somebody else. So he actually resigned over it. And that was like, if I can't even like, I felt like I I was getting screwed. I I got totally screwed out of it. And that was like the last, I had already had some other issues with USA table tennis, but that was like the the last straw. I was like, I don't, I don't really want to be a part of this anymore. So I, I stopped playing seriously for a while because of that. And then, um, I, I mean, I, I just started coaching and I played in the collegiate stuff, which is really fun. Those, those, those are really fun tournaments. Um, but yeah, that kind of, I didn't really have the same, like, which way am I going to go? Like, that was like, like you guys aren't going to let me play for the U S when like I deserve it. And the person that they ended up selecting, I beat in nationals that year. So the trials are in February. Usually the nationals are in December. I had beaten him in the tw- under 21s to win the 21 and under. Uh, mm-hmm. And then they ended up selecting him. It's like this guy that I just beat is getting selected over me. And he didn't even go to the trials for whatever reason. <laughs> and like, I just like the whole situation, like I, I, it, it just ticked me off. So I didn't really have the same, like, uh, the same reckoning as most players do going to college. I tried to do both and I really wanted to play table tennis, but if the USA table tennis isn't really going to support me and there's no way to make money in table tennis as a player, it's like, what's the point? So I just, I stopped doing it and started working and started coaching a lot more. I I was still at that time. I was coaching a little bit just to make some, some money. But after that point I took a little bit of time off and then I started coaching a lot. So that was my transition. (laughs) It's a sad, not ending. Yeah, but yeah, that's a sad, sad thing. It was good. Like it was kind of a, just a kick in the pants. Like this isn't for you, kind of thing. So mm. it just kind of fine. It was like the last straw. So okay. So then you um, were just coaching. Was that when you were nineteen or when you were twenty? Uh, I think I was twenty. Yeah. Mm. So I was pretty much done with school or getting close to it. Yeah. And yeah. So I guess we can, I guess we can jump a little bit. So then when you were, you're still in Indiana and then you graduated and then I think you can't, that's when you came to Utah, right? Yeah. So in my, after my junior year of college, I had an internship in Utah. Um, so I, I came out to Utah and worked for a company called Bluehost, which was really fun. Um, the, the owner and like the CEO and a bunch of the guys there were all really into ping pong. So they, I got to play ping pong with some of the higher ups of the company, which is really fun. Yeah. Uh, and then they actually wanted me to stay 
but I, I was like, no, I'm going to go finish school and then I'll come back if you want me. Yeah. Um, and so I, I went back, I finished my senior year in school and, uh, I was actually not sure if I wanted to move back to Utah. Uh, my brother was, was working and living in Utah, um, at mm-hmm. the same company, Bluehost. And I was looking at a place in Illinois, uh, Yahoo, uh, there was a couple places in, in Texas. And then Utah was also on my list. Um, so coming out of it, I, I called the CEO, the one I'd kind of made friends with through ping pong. Mm-hmm. And was like, Hey, I, I'd like to come work for you at Bluehost, but I, I didn't really want to be doing tech support, which is basically what I was doing as an intern. So I was like, do you have any yeah. other positions open for me? Um, that here's like my skill sets. So that he got me like a better position at the company, um, or got like, I had a foot in the door for that. Um, cool. and yeah, so that's, that was really the reason why I came back to Utah was cause I had a, a pretty good, like starting position, um, doing some pretty technical things and it was a, a pretty well-paying job, at least as an entry, like first out of college. So that was, yeah. that was awesome. Um, and that's, I've been here ever since. So cool. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, that is the, uh, saga of Joey Cochran. I yeah. Think was, I think we covered everything. Is there anything, anything we didn't mention? Um, no. Uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. I played most of my career was as a junior. Um, I stopped playing pretty much right after college cause I was, um, getting into my career, my real career. Um, yeah. like everyone else, like most everyone else. Um, but yeah, I got to be a part of the U S team and represent America, which was really cool. Awesome. Definitely one of the yeah. coolest things I've ever done is like, there's something about like representing your country when you have your flag on your back, the USA on your back, um, representing America. So yeah, it's, that's really cool. One of the worlds was in, uh, that I played in one of the junior worlds was in, uh, Palo Alto, California. Cool. And so playing in front of like a home crowd was really cool. Um, yeah, they, yeah, yeah, that was, that was really neat. Nice. Nice. Okay. Um, well, if you, if you have any other questions for Joey, um, any follow-ups, uh, make sure to, uh, tweet us or send us a message on Facebook or something. Yeah. Um, do you want to, do you want to do a Joey's coaching corner? Uh, so I think for a coaching corner this week or this month, um, just check out the YouTube channel. It's table tennis junkie. I'm doing a lot of serving videos on there to try out. Um, I have some unique serves that are, are really effective and really like they'll win points. So at least they have for (laughs) me. So check them out. Um, you also get to see Joey's, uh, Joey's, uh, table tennis area at his house, which is yeah, my basement area yeah, where yeah. I teach most of my lessons. The sound yeah. isn't as good as I want it to be, and the space isn't as big as I want it to be. But it's I think the content is what's most important um, yeah. for the videos, and there's a lot of really good tips in there. So even even for like some beginners and for intermediate players, both uh, even for some advanced players that they might not always think about, it's it's good to hear uh, some of the tips that I put in there, and they're kind of scattered throughout. So mostly I talk about the serve, but then it's like in my last video, I talk about the wrist motions and how they, they work with different strokes and I kind of go on little tangents sometimes. So 
uh, there's a lot of good content in there. So definitely check them out. Cool. Awesome. And subscribe, right? Like and subscribe. Yeah. Like and subscribe. Comment. Hit that bell for notifications. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And my goal is to have a thousand subscribers, right? That's where you can start monetizing it. And I'm at like yeah. 30. So I need about okay. 970 more. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah. Cool. All right. So um, for Weird World of Table Tennis today, um, my one of the things that my wife has been doing to cope with uh, self isolation is um, rewatching uh, Real Housewives episodes. That's like her guilty pleasure. And she was watching it the other day, and she was like, "Hey, come here!" And and she, um, when I came in, she played me a section of an episode where the Real Housewives of New York were at Spin New York having a table tennis tournament. I um, love it. Spin New York is one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I was like, okay, wait a second. That's table tennis. And that spin New York. Um, I know that you've been there a few times. And then um the MC who was kind of commentating the tournament looked really familiar. And it's um it was Ryan Willard who does uh most of the big US events. I think he he um MCs like the US Open and the Nationals. Um and he's he's kind of, I guess, a face or a voice of US table tennis. Uh I thought that was kind of funny to see him there as well. Um That's cool. It it was bad. Like you can imagine, like, you know, middle aged ladies who've never played table tennis before. It's it wasn't it wasn't, wasn't pretty. very no, it wasn't very interesting. Was there drama involved? Um, there actually wasn't surprisingly. No, well, they kept their drama on the, on the table. Um, I guess they didn't really, uh, get into fights. Usually they go places and then they get into fights and then they get kicked out and stuff like that. But this seemed to be pretty, uh, uh they had good, good, uh, oh, they had good sportsmanship. So yeah that's good if if you want to check it out it's season five episode 18 i tried to google to find the episodes and like i i couldn't find it at all i had to just like skip through the entire fifth season it happened to be like the second to last episode thanks (laughs) so um yeah anyways that's a that's a pretty weird uh thing and a weird tv show for a weird world of table tennis. Yeah. I've only seen one episode uh, just to like see what it's all about. I, I, it's I not, don't know. It's not yeah, for it's me. Not. I might check yeah. out the new one that's coming out with the Salt Lake ones. Yeah, they are doing a real Housewives of Salt Lake City. I think it should be interesting. Yeah, <laughs> definitely interesting. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's basically our episode. Any any last words? Uh, no, just stay safe. Stay Stay ponging. Uh, yeah, that's it. Um, yeah, we'll we'll keep going and keep updating you on on anything new that's happening. Um, but yeah, I think that's all for me. What about you? Cool. Yeah. Um, if any if any healthcare workers or Instacart shoppers are listening, uh, thanks for what you do. Um, yeah, for and sure. And everybody, everybody else, uh, stay inside. And I guess we're sp- 
Americans are supposed to wear masks now when you go out. So we, we went for a drive like a few days ago cause we hadn't been like, I'm a little worried the cars are going to not start next time I start them. So we took the car out and I was just kind of amazed. Like I didn't see a single mask. I saw tons of people just walking around doing their normal thing, going into gas stations. And I was just like, man, this is, this is not, it's not going to be good. It's already starting to pick up in Utah County, but it's going to be, I feel like it's going to, it's going to be pretty bad considering that no one is, doesn't seem like people aren't taking it seriously here. Yeah. I don't know. So stay indoors and, and stay away from people and, um, I guess take care of yourselves. So yeah. thanks for listening and uh, we will see you t- hear from you. Talk to you next month. Sounds good. I'll see ya. Table tennis talk is a monthly podcast by Joey Cochran and Ryan Lewis edited by Ryan Lewis. Music on the podcast comes from chill hop records. Find the podcast on Apple podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Send us questions on our Facebook page at Table Tennis Talk Podcast or on Twitter at TT Talk Podcast.